Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Shanae Bend. Due to unexplained bleeding at 32 weeks pregnant, she was ordered to be on hospital bed rest for a month. This experience was not what she had imagined, and she worked through feelings of shame and guilt towards her body. From her journey came healing, and she is now a licensed professional counselor specializing in treating pregnant and postpartum persons. Hello, Shanae. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Yes. Welcome, welcome. (laughs) And I love the work that you're doing in allowing Black women, women of color to tell their story, their pregnancy story is so super, super important. And so I'm, I'm just honored to be here in that space. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can you start by telling a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure, sure. Uh, so I like to think of myself just in general, like a natural cheerleader, a natural um, at teaching of like wanting to learn, wanting to teach. And so I think that those skills just really perfectly align with me being a counselor um, and in my work as a counselor. Um, I live here in Georgia. I'm not too far away from Atlanta. I'm married. Um, we've been f- married four years and I have a three-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. And um, I have my private practice out here, as you all said, serving pregnancy and postpartum women. Um, I serve them across Georgia, Florida, and Pennsylvania. So excited when we have counselors of color. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, it's so necessary. So, so necessary. So <laughs> we <necessary>. need more. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you start off by telling us a little bit about um, your pregnancy? Yes, yes. So um, I, I was really thinking about how it was before that 32 week mark of life when I had some bleeding. And it was pretty smooth, I would say, for the most part. I do remember um, having a little bit more weight gain than my my first pregnancy. And I was a bit concerned, but my providers were like, no, all is fine, all is well. Um, But outside of that, it was, um, I, I I do remember myself having more like assertive, aggressive energy I guess I'll say like I do and I don't I guess I just thought of it like okay I'm pregnant with my son this testosterone is just flowing through my blood but (laughs) I do remember like when I was at work and I'd be in team meetings usually I'd be kind of like you know I would say a little bit here or there but I was very vocal very like no this is not right this is what we're about to do you know (laughs) so I do remember that um but when I got to the uh, the 32 weeks um, it was the, the weekend of my baby shower, the weekend before my baby shower. So my best friend came in town from Texas and it was um, early in the morning. I had some, I went to the bathroom, I had some bleeding and it wasn't just a little bit. It was like the toilet was red. It was, it was a lot, it was alarming. And so I think as that happened, it was just, I felt more like, okay, it's, it's a lot, but it kind of reminded me of my first pregnancy. And they told me that my cervix was vascular. And I guess they kind of described it as a little bit more sensitive. So you might bleed a little bit. So I did have some bleeding with my daughter when I was 24 weeks. So I don't think I registered it as like a big, huge, huge deal, but I definitely was like, okay, we need to go to the doctors. So we went to the, my best friend came with me. Um, my husband stayed with my two year old and, um, 
So we're there. They're thinking that I was going to go in labor. Uh, so I was in labor and delivery. They were like, okay, 32 weeks, he might be born at this time. So we need to get you the steroid shot. And um, I really am against interventions and hospital interventions. So that was hard, difficult for me. Um, I've always imagined, had this vision of having a home birth doula midwife. And so that was difficult, but I was like, I still felt like, okay, if he's born now, like I just want to make sure that he's well taken care of as best as possible. So I went along with that. And so I stayed there for three days. My best friend was with me and um, we just really talked about like, I was really upset about, okay, my baby shower, like what's going on? So of course I missed my whole baby shower, right? And I was talking to my best friend and she was like, well, God just meant for me to be here with you in the hospital. Because if she was not there, I would have been there by myself because my husband needed to, you know, watch after our daughter. And so I really just tried to process it that way. I was like, okay. So I stayed there three days, didn't have any more bleeding. Um, they couldn't figure out where the bleeding was coming from. Um, and they did the ultrasounds, checked me out. Baby was fine, measuring fine. And so they, they said they were going to release me. They tried to, um, at first it was like, you can't work. We, we're going to release you, but you can't go back to work. You need to kind of stay home. And I was like, what? No, no, no. That I don't, you guys, I'm like superwoman. Like I got to do all the things. No, I need to go back to work. Like I'll be fine. Okay. So I had to like, I found myself negotiating with them. Like, okay, okay, listen, get the doctor back. Have her come back. Okay, can you rewrite this letter so that it says I can go to work, I just can't drive. So I used to do a lot of home sessions for my therapy at that time. And so just make it so I could stay at the office so that I can go to work. <laughs> so they, I think they were annoyed, but they're like, okay, that's fine. But they gave me the disclaimer. They said, Shanae, if you bleed again, we are going to highly recommend that you stay here in the hospital until baby comes. And so I'm okay. Okay. So... Of course, I didn't make it 24 hours before I was bleeding again. And so I go back. Um, it's still, I don't think, really, really hit me. I was like, okay, maybe I'm just having some bleeding. And I kept trying to tell everybody, my cervix, you know, it's just a little sensitive. It's okay. You know, it's just a little vascular. You, you guys can't find anything because it's my cervix. You know, so I was really just telling them what it was. And they're like, uh, you know, we're going to keep checking. Um, so what they were telling me is they thought it may have been a placental abruption that they couldn't detect. So they thought maybe it was just so microscopic that they couldn't see it in the ultrasound. And so basically what that is, is the placenta detaching from the uterus before it's time. Um, and so some of the symptoms of that, I didn't even realize um, until actually today that some of the symptoms of that is extremely low blood pressure. And I was having some um, signals of low blood pressure so I'm there. I, I believe they kind of put me under the impression of like, if you can go a week and not have any bleeding, then we might consider, you know, if you can be home or if you can have just more restrictions and be home. At least that's what I told myself in my mind. <laughs> I was like, okay, no bleeding, no bleeding. And so I had some, my, my doctors in the hospital was mostly white, um, but the nurses were mostly black. And so um, I say that just to say, like, I had some un 
I felt somewhat uncomfortable sometimes when I would talk to the doctors and I was well aware of like our, our rates as black women being protect, you know, of our mortality rates and us not being seen and heard. And so I had my antennas up for that. But I just wanted to note, like, with the black nurses being there, even though I have no specific example of them looking like looking out for me or a specific example of like them speaking on my behalf, somehow I just felt really safe with them being there and me being able to talk to them about what's going on and their thoughts on things. And so I remember some of the nurses telling me like, you need to drink a lot of water. Like you need to stay hydrated. Hydration is best for pregnancy. Any kind of ailments, you'll be fine. That'll probably help. So I drank all the water. Like I'm not a water drinker. I drink it all the time. I was like, I'm trying to get out of here. <laughs> I want to go home. And so it got to whole week, no bleeding, and the doctors are coming and talking to me. And I'm like, um, so, okay, so like, what's up? Like, you know, I can go home now, no bleeding, everything is good. And so that's when it really, I, I really hit all the feelings at that point. And it's like, I get emotional sometimes when I think of it because it was, they really talked to me about Shanae, okay, just the seriousness of it. Like, we really recommend that you stay here until the baby comes because you can go home and something can happen. You know, you can have bleeding and we can't get to you in time. You can have bleeding, something happened to your son, happened to your body. Like, it's best that you're here, right? And so that, that really hit me. Like, though I want to be as natural as possible, I would have loved to have a doula. I didn't want all these hospital interventions, but I, at the same time, I didn't want to be so headstrong and create an incident where something happened when I'm at home, right? And so the other thing that they were dropping on me was, uh, yeah, you can leave, but it's possible that your insurance not cover the time that you're here because you're just obeying the orders type of thing. And so I was very aware of, uh, yes, they're interested in my well-being, but at the same time, they're a business, right? And so for me to be there a whole month, like I looked at my bill that, thank God my insurance paid for, $130,000 for the whole month. I think it was a little bit more, but that's what I remembered. It was like $6,000 a day. So I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm aware, like y'all are making all the coins off of me right now too. But again, I didn't want to be that mom so headstrong and something actually happened where I didn't have um, the care in place. So as I said, all the feelings hit me, sadness, guilt, shame, helplessness, missing my, my husband, missing my daughter. So I just was, was sad that like, this isn't what I imagined my pregnancy to be. Like I, I was pretty sure, and me and my husband were pretty sure this was gonna be the last baby. I wanted to get the belly cast. I wanted to get the maternity shots out in nature. I wanted to wear all the cute maternity outfits and be all on Instagram. Like, oh, look at me, I'm so cute and pregnant, right? And I'm like, I'm in the hospital. Like, this is not glamorous at all. I did not want to post on social media. Actually, I think I deleted it off my page because I was following pregnancy pages and all the cute moms and, you know, the cute families and like their lives looking so perfect. And I'm like, here I am. I felt shame about my body. I was like, what's happening? Like, I'm a former collegiate athlete, right? And so like, I'm strong. I felt like I was strong. So what is breaking down in my body that is not allowing me to have a normal pregnancy, right? So all kinds of different emotions. And so I really had to kind of shift it around for myself, like shifting my perspective on things. Like I'm missing, I'm missing my two-year-old daughter. I want to be with her, but she's spending a ton of time with her dad. 
she's spending a ton of time. She ended up going with her Nana to Jacksonville, Florida. Ton of time with her Nana. This would have never really happened had I not been here, right? And just shifting my, challenging those thoughts, like my body is strong. It could be worse. It could be really, really worse. And I knew of some moms on the floor where it was a lot worse. And so I just really had to shift around like, no, I don't want to be here. I would like to be at work. <laughs> like I want to make money. I did not plan to take this much time off. Right. So that was part of it, but it was still like, Hey, there's things I was too busy to do. Like I was trying to study for my licensure at the time, the licensure exam. I had all the time. There were shows I wanted to catch up on Netflix. I didn't have time for at all the time. So in some ways, it was kind of nice <laughs> to relax, not running behind my two-year-old and working just like a mad woman, right? And so I really had to shift my perspective on things. And, you know, that's what I teach my clients as well, dealing with that. So focusing on what I could do, I set up a schedule for myself. I was really... Like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meditate more when I wake up in the morning. I'm going to write. I had this little countdown going on on my dry erase board. Because basically they were like, you're going to be here until at least 37 weeks at the most, they said. If he comes early, but 37 weeks. And so they prepared me a whole three more weeks in total was a whole month. So I was like, I'm going to be here. Did my little countdown had another dry erase board. I put positive affirmations every day about um, my body and my pregnancy being beautiful and that I'm going to make it through. I'm strong. I can do this. I'm resilient. So I would always put positive words every single day to really encourage me, keep me going. My, my husband and my daughter would come every other, every other day to the hospital to visit me. So that was something I was always looking forward to. I spent hour long, hours long conversations with my friends and family. And that was really deep connections that I made with them. Um, and and so there were some things that were very difficult, but I really tried to shift it around to like, what is so beautiful about this time that I would have never got. So in the midst of that, um, you know, they were still considering the placental abruption that they couldn't detect it, but it could be possible. I still was having low blood pressure here or there. Um, and my, my heart rate was getting to be really high sometimes. Um, sometimes I would think of it like I would have moments where I would get a little bit more anxious, you know, it was like kind of figuring out financial arrangements and things like that. And like, what's you know, short-term disability? When does that kick in? How does that, you know, I got to fill this paperwork out. So I kind of equated it to that. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was basically the, you know, the meat of <laughs> what that hospital stay was like. for me. I'm listening and I don't think we've actually, um, had anyone share in depth their experience of being on bed rest um, and it being a long, extensive amount of time. And um, I mean, you really pointed out some, I think, great tools that people can take away of how having to deal with that because it is, it's a, it's a, a feeling of isolation during a time that you typically want to be centered in community mm -hmm. and in your village. Um, and it can be great, you know, on the one hand of you being able to, to center yourself and think about some ways to um, take care of stuff or do things that you weren't doing before. But it is also um, a loss of what you thought your pregnancy was going to look, look like. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's finding that balance. And I, I loved hearing how you did find that balance. Um, but I think it's just also, I, I was just thinking, like, I don't think we've talked about how, um, how intense bed rest can be. Mm-hmm. Um, especially mm-hmm. when it's required for you to be in the hospital, which isn't always the best and comfiest place. <laughs> no, ma'am, it is not. <laughs> you know, I forgot about the part, like I was monitored all the time, like those little straps where you have to stay still for an hour at a time. Oh my gosh, nurses coming in, checking my blood pressure, my temperature every four hours. There was a time, I think it was like the first week or two, they'd come through the night and do that. <laughs> so I couldn't really sleep. That hospital bed is not comfortable. <laughs> it's just not. It was more comfortable than a labor bed, but it's not, it's not a home bed. It's right. not. I'm like, can we get some comfy <laughs> mattresses? Where my money going? Six thousand dollars a day. Where is my money right. going? Right. Yeah, and thinking right. about that, the like the financial burden of an extended stay like that navigating um having to shift your life or something like that like i'm like where is the doula to to doula me through what these hospital Mm -hmm. policies or you know like where is the person that they have it would make sense to have someone who could walk you through like okay here's what happens if like the paperwork you might need for um disability or Mm -hmm. all of those processes that would be so beneficial but then i it goes back to like you said I know that y'all care about me, but it's also a business. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we can't make it easy for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And yeah, you're right. There, there was no go-to person like navigating that. They had a um, hospital, I think it was like liaison or something like that. They, they would help with like helping you print out things or you know, giving you maybe like community resources, but not so much like that process of being there and kind of navigating all of that. And, you know, I was just thinking before this call, like I, I really would have loved to have a doula, you know, to kind of walk me through, especially as it came to my birth of like how to have more natural interventions before I needed to do this whole list of things. Um, but then I kind of stepped back of like, I wouldn't have been in this work. Like if I had this beautiful home pregnancy or even a complicated home pregnancy to not have an awareness of those other high risk moms, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in this work. So it it all kind of lined up, you know, as it was supposed to. Yeah. And so now, um, you know, how were you, you know, usually the question is how did you prepare for birth? And I guess you can answer that too. How were you, preparing for birth originally and then what did that look like once this shift happened Mm -hmm. so originally um I I guess in my mind I was like I wanted a doula but I was like I have time you know (laughs) I did some research I was doing research (laughs) but didn't get her in time or I don't know if there's male doulas um then there are some Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so really all I had concrete was my, my birth plan. So I did have, I started filling it out before I got to the hospital, but during my hospital stay, like I had all the time. So <laughs> I definitely filled it all out. Um, I remember it was, one of them was March of Dimes, I believe has a, a printout. And I, I used kind of two of them to kind of cover both bases. Um, and so there was a doctor, um, who happened to be white. She was very, very, very helpful as far as like 
how to help me with what I wanted and what was possible for the hospital setting I was in. So she was able to be realistic with me, but still was like, okay, yeah, yeah, we could do that. We could do that. And, you know, I, at the time I was very curious about my placenta and if, can I keep my placenta if I want to? And she was like, actually, yeah, you can. <laughs> so she was kind of walking me through that. I didn't end up doing that, but it was just nice that that possibility was available. So I did do that. The other thing is I was trying to re research. I didn't want to be induced, but then I didn't want to be at the hospital any longer. So he was not coming. <laughs> he didn't. It was 30, I was getting closer and closer to 37 weeks and he was good there. So I was trying to research natural ways to induce. Um, so like walking and bouncing on a yoga ball is like what I, what I came up with. Um, and then, um, and so that's what I did. Like as it got closer to, I, you know, asked, I had to ask for permission <laughs> to walk around the halls and like just kind of really get something flowing going. Um, and yeah, that was, that was basically what I did to prepare. And so now, can you tell us about your birth? Okay. So it was a lot, you know, as I said, they, they had, they had, they were, they're focused on interventions, hospital interventions being induced is like one of the most <laughs> biggest ways to intervene, right? Baby's, baby doesn't want to come. He's not ready to come. Um, so, you know, as I said, like it, when it was the, it was the night before they told me, I do not know the name of this. It's a strip that they put inside, like laying across your cervix to kind of help to, I guess, um, get me more dilated. Um, so I was, I had been four centimeters all like three or four centimeters all through my hospital stay. And so all that strip really did is got me to five centimeters. And so I was sitting at five centimeters. I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm bouncing on the ball, walking, walking, bouncing on the ball for hours. I want to say it was like five or six hours. And, and there was nothing really shifting from that. And so, um, so they kind of had, they allowed me the room to do that because it seems like they had a pretty structured, like we do the strip and then, you know, we do the Pitocin and then, you know, they had like this plan and I was like, let me, I had to tell the midwives or the, my midwife and the doctors a couple of times, like, just give me a little bit more time and see what I could do. Give me a little bit of time. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try. <laughs> so they gave me that space, which I appreciated, but then it was like, okay, Shemay, we need to do this Pitocin. Um, and so what I had remembered about Pitocin was that it can make the labor more painful. And so I was really scared about that because I didn't want an epidural. I didn't have one with my daughter, um, but I didn't know what level, <laughs> what, how could it be worse than just regular pain? Like how? So I was really nervous about that, but I, you know, of course agreed. And um, then they, it, that wasn't really progressing too much. I do remember it getting, getting painful, but it was bearable. I really breathed through it a lot. And then they had a space of like, okay, it will be helpful if we break your water because that could probably speed things along too. And again, another intervention. And I remember when they broke my water, I cried like immediately after they did it. And it was like just this knee-jerk reaction where I was like, and they're looking at me like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I was like, I didn't, I didn't want to do this. Like, I don't want to be here like this. Like I did, this is not the experience I wanted. And, and something about just feeling the flow of water and like 
us making him come out. You know, it was really, it was really sad for me. So um, I was going along, along, along. It was getting to be very painful, very, very painful, worse than um, with my daughter. And, and I broke down. I was like, I'm looking at my husband. I'm like, I know, you know, about the ep no epidural life, but I don't, I can't. I was like, I just, I cannot, I cannot. And I didn't want all these interventions, but this is too much. It was like getting to be hours and hours and hours of the pain and I wasn't progressing. And so um, I asked them for epidural. <laughs> so they're asking me, like they knew my birth plan. Are you sure? Are you sure you want to? Yes, I do. So they told me we got to wait until the Pitocin finishes. When I tell you that Pitocin was like at half a bag and that drip was so slow. <laughs> I'm like, I can't, you guys, I'm looking at every trip. I cannot wait, it's no. <laughs> and I was like, are you guys sure? Are you sure you can't just switch it out? <laughs> just give me the epidural. Like, no, that's not how this works. Because I'm like, oh God. So something happened where, well, I had to use the bathroom. And so I got up, I walked to the bathroom, I came on back and I felt this immense pressure and I looked at my husband and I said, oh my God, he's, he's coming. His head is right there. He, I feel it. <laughs> and so he's buzzing, like, y'all come in here, come in here, come in here. And so they, it felt like, ten, I don't know how 10 people ended up in the room, but 10 people ended up in the room and the midwife checked me. She's like, oh yeah, his head is right there. <laughs> so, oh my. So my theory is that I probably was sitting at 10 centimeters because they didn't check me for a while. And that was probably what the pain that was of like me just sitting in 10 centimeters. Cause I was sitting up on the bed. I wasn't, I was sitting up there for a while. I was trying to brace myself like with the pain. And so baby's head is here. We're ready to go. I'm looking at her in my deliriousness of like, can you still give me the epidural? <laughs> Wow, that sounds and she said no in the sweetest way no sweetie his head is right there <laughs> you tried it you tried it <laughs> his head is right there no we we're just gonna go ahead and push you yeah, can do a little shadow <laughs> <laughs> a little right. take the edge off a little bit i was so exhausted i was so my body was so tired and my my mother in love as i call her she put it in perspective of like yeah you had been there a whole month not doing anything so labor probably was more intense just because of that i was like yeah that's a good point so i pushed it was it wasn't as many pushes i'm always proud of that no epidural got on out i was a little nervous because they said his head was very large but we made it through he was um, eight pounds, one ounce. They kept telling me when he was measured, like he's a big boy, he's big at 37 weeks. So um, after I was done pushing him, I, I had some hemorrhaging. They said I had like about half a liter to a liter of blood loss that came out. And so they were concerned and they were thinking I might've needed um, um, a blood transfusion. So they just kept monitoring me. And so it, it, it did start to slow down. Um, they looked 
at my placenta. And this was the first time I looked at my placenta. I took pictures of it. I was so amazed by like how beautiful of a tree it looks. <laughs> and so she was scanning through it to see if she saw any like punctures or anything that looked like an abruption. And she was like, no, I don't, I don't see anything. Like, I don't see anything. Um, so they, they said they were going to get that tested. So um, I do also remember having like, I had a hard time standing up. Like I felt like this tightness in my chest. And so they kind of monitored my heart a little bit. Um, but um, it seemed like it, it kind of went away after a day or two. Um, and then the breastfeeding experience was really smooth for me because this was my second time around. I had some issues with um, my first baby, but I, I felt very confident in that. Um, so yeah, that was, that's my birth story. <laughs> I had to like, I forgot that this was at 37 weeks mm -hmm. and homeboy he was 30, juicy. it was eight pounds. He's going to be juicy <laughs> if he stayed in there. Eight pounds, one ounce. Yes. He was a big old baby coming. So if I would have waited till he was ready to come, yeah, he might've been a 10, 10 pound baby. Which is perfectly fine, right? Yes. Right, yes. right. We're all about the big babies. <laughs> and, and the um, other thing is that he was, um, well, I could say more in the postpartum period, but like he was jaundice. He had like some, um, he was measuring higher on the higher levels of jaundice. And they say that can happen when babies are born earlier or I guess earlier than they want to. Um, so, so yeah, so breast, so on top of him being big, they were like breastfeed, breastfeed, breastfeed all the time breastfeed it'll flow on out so he, he got bigger and bigger <laughs> those couple months after <laughs> uh, um i'm thinking about you sharing about the parts where like it hit you and i know you had talked about it it hitting you throughout that process but in the actual labor process of just how much your birth shifted mm -hmm. um, and your experience shifted and how like cer these certain points created those um, emotions mm -hmm. to come forth. Um, and just, yeah, I, and you talking about the, the protocol of the birth process mm -hmm. um, and how frustrating that can be. And you, like you said, you, you did have your care providers were willing to be flexible and bend with you a little bit, but it is, it's this like very boxed, yes we do this first, then we do this second and third mm -hmm. and fourth. And it's like, but where's the like connecting to, okay, this is what happened. Number one, let's see how the body's responding. adjusting mm -hmm. let's see how it's responding. So let's see how baby responding. And maybe we skip two and go to three. Like they just, mm -hmm. it's this very checkbox. Yes. And it, it's so, it, it felt so, you know, money driven again, like, okay, yeah, we, she got great insurance. We're going to keep her for this month, but after the month, we got to get her on out as soon as possible. So we can get the, you know, so that's what I felt like, like I was being rushed along so mm -hmm. we can get another bed filled <laughs> type of thing. And so, yeah, so they have their checklist. Boom, boom, boom. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about your postpartum. What was okay, so transition like? My postpartum was, um, I would describe it as in some ways I had more support and in some ways I felt more alone. So we had a lot of changes that happened. Um, while he was um, just a couple months old, we were moving. You know, my husband was helping us move into a, another house. So basically what happened, I spent my postpartum experience in Jacksonville, Florida. 
um, with staying with my mother in love and my mom lives there as well. Um, so it sounded perfect as far as like having my family around, um, having women around me. Um, and I didn't have that for um, my daughter with post postpartum. Um, but my husband wasn't there because he was he was working on um, getting us moved into a, a bigger space, which was which was great. Um, so I was excited about that. So it was in some ways I got more support, but then there would um, unfortunately there was like a, a relative that was going to stay with me during the day, but she got ill. And so there would be like large parts of the day where it was just me, my baby and my toddler. And so it would be difficult because people are telling me, relax, chill out, relax, relax. And I'm like, I have a two-year-old <laughs> like that. That doesn't, you, that's not happening. <laughs> Sometimes I have to pick her up and I know, I know I'm not supposed to, but we're going to try to work it out. And so I, I did. Um, and I think just in general, like, I feel like I transitioned very well with that. I'm always checking in with my mental health, you know, and I feel like I, I was coping through it very well and, um, you know, finding out ways to kind of um, um, not do all the things. So I would get, you know, groceries delivered and just trying to figure out ways to kind of save, save time. Um, and then with his jaundice, I was really focused. His, his levels weren't coming down as fast as I wanted them to. So we had to take him off to the hospital a couple of times in Florida, a whole new, st another state, because I live in Georgia. Um, and so they just kept telling me, just keep breastfeeding, keep breastfeeding, keep breastfeeding. You know, if it's still at a high level, we might have to put them under the light. And I'm like, I'm so done with hospitals at this point. I'm like, no, we're not doing that. So I'm breastfeeding, like, I think they encourage like every two hours. So I'm breastfeeding. This boy is just getting bigger and bigger, bigger, bigger and bigger. And so it was kind of exciting because I remember just hearing dialogue around me. It seems like especially like older black relatives of like, you know, breast milk ain't enough. It's not enough. And I'm like, no, it's plenty. <laughs> He's getting very large. Um, I would say he was like maybe 13 pounds by like closer to the second month or something like that. He was getting big. Um, so, um, but yeah, in general, we had a lot of changes going on. A lot of, you know, I, I spent, uh, I think it was two months there in Jacksonville. And then when I came back in town, we were um, in our, in our new house. Um, and that was better. So yeah, but it was, it was smooth and some, some months around the way that piece about feeling alone but like feeling um surrounded but alone at the same time mm -hmm. um i think you know no matter how many children you have when you're adjusting to adding a new human to your family and who you the transition of you as a as a as a parent from birthing there is this period of like, I have all these people around me, but now I'm trying to like collect myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, who am I in this new body, in this new experience? So and, true. you know, even with the, the greatest support systems, it is this, um, this period of like being alone in our thoughts and just trying to like recenter and, and refine, okay, what is, what does it look like now? Mm -hmm. uh, and especially with multiples, because like you said, they don't care. They're like, um, you're still the parent. Feed me, pick me up, soothe me. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you know, I, I told that I was still your baby. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am. 
That exactly. Yeah. Together. Life goes on. Like, come on, mom, get it together. Um, so, and then the other thing I had to challenge, like I, I tell people, like I'm a recovering superwoman where I had to, when I would get the help, I had to allow the help. Right. And not feel like I, I still, you know, I'm mom, I still got to do all the things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, that was part of it where I was like trying to let that rain go a bit more. I'm like, okay, yeah, you can. Yeah, you're my mom. I guess you did pretty good. So <laughs> you can help me. <laughs> and consider how long you were out of your own natural habitat from being in the hospital for so long, then transitioning out of the hospital into someone else's home, even if it's mom, you know, it's still not your space and just that feeling not quite settled, you know, to add to the fact that you're in postpartum. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's a really good point. And, um, and, and that might have been um, me having to adjust some of my expectations at the same time of like, though I'm not, not wanting to fully accept the help, I had been used to getting all kinds of help in the hospital right, <laughs> for a whole month um, and, and encouraged not to do anything. So, yeah, you're right. That that transition. Yeah, it was it was challenging. Can you tell us about your work as a pregnancy? postpartum counselor like how did you even begin to go down that road yeah so I I just want to go back to just a moment to like my my hospital stay and while I was there they had a mom support group where um, some of the moms um, can come um, who were on bed rest can come to the group and kind of get support about just how they're feeling how they're doing how they're coping and I was really happy that that hospital had that and it was it was ran ran with a um, licensed professional counselor and so they were just talking about their feelings similar that I had you know guilt um, just trying to figure out financial arrangements so stress around that um, just all the feelings that I was having. And some women, like I said, we had to put in perspective, some women had been there for months, months, and were <laughs> ordered to be there for another few months. Um, so I really kind of um, became more curious about those women there and then just high-risk pregnancies in general and pregnancy not always being so smooth and peachy and beautiful and Instagram worthy, right? And so that level of awareness made me like ask questions with the nurse. I'm like, okay, how, how are moms here functioning mentally? Is, is there a licensed professional counselor coming in like to see them for their own sessions and things like that? She was like, no, not to my awareness. And she was telling me about some moms that would just sit in the dark, you know, and or wouldn't bathe and had to be encouraged to bathe. Um, would have outbursts, right, of having to be there. And so she really told me about just in her years of being there, other moms that she experienced that weren't coping very well mentally through that. And so it was so pivotal, like how this all happened in my life, because this was, as I was saying, the time I was studying for my licensure exam, I was really sure that I wanted to have a private practice. And I was trying to figure out what is my thing going to be? What is my thing going to be? And so I took that huge sign. And after my postpartum period, uh, God gave me all kinds of signs. (laughs) Like it would be random emails that I would get. And I wouldn't really look at the details of this one email 
that I would get, you know, every week. I pull that up and it happened to be a counselor who specializes in pregnant and postpartum giving a, a lecture. Or I would drive and I would happen to stop by a pregnancy center. Or I would just happen to see and notice these billboards about pregnancy and postpartum or a podcast would come up about pregnancy. And so I just got all these signs. I'm like, okay, God, I hear you. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be my thing. So that's, that's when I, I shifted that and decided like while I was working, I was uh, still working as a counselor at the agency um, part-time. I started building um, my practice. And so with that, I would say the main part of what I do to help moms is like, I help them to challenge their own negative thinking or distortions about what's going on. Um, not making the experience uh, worse than it needs to be with their mindset, right? Um, brainstorming how they can get more support, um, especially like here in the COVID times, like having to be creative about what does support look like? So maybe it's not your friends and families being around you all the time, but maybe it's them cooking meals and leaving it by your front door. Maybe it's you hiring for laundry service and, you know, they pick up and they send it back washed and folded and just trying to figure out ways that you can save time and you can get more sleep and giving them the permission that you don't have to do all the things. You don't have to do all the things um, is the main thing. So that just really dove me into my practice. And so <clears throat> Now it's, um, I have, um, of course, license in Georgia, um, uh, registered to serve the state of Florida. And then because of COVID, I'm able to serve um, women in uh, Pennsylvania. It's just really, um, again, highlighting the need for care for individuals with high-risk pregnancies and those extended stays. Um, speaking personally for myself, it is something that kind of, um, if it's not in, in my face, kind of goes to the, to the back of, of that experience. So being able to talk about in depth and hearing um, how people are actually affected by that, I'm like, of course, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, you can go into a depression, you can, anxiety can increase all these mental health um, things that arise from that experience. And, you know, we talk about so much in our work as doulas about how your pregnancy and birth affects so much of who you are after that. Um, and so how important, how much more important it is, is to have someone who can walk alongside you um, on the mental aspect. Like, you know, of course, as a doula, we can, we can provide as much support, but having someone dedicated to that experience is key. Yes, um, yes, definitely. And yeah, you definitely touched on those points of um, even women outside of high risk, you know, just transitioning to being pregnant and the changes that happen with your body and the changes that other people around you, you know, they're acting differently towards you. You trying to figure out work and career and how am I, how am I going to balance all of this? And so um, I always wanted to, um, you know, on, on Instagram, I'm at pregnancy therapist and my website is pregnancytherapist.com. And of course, I serve women who are also in their postpartum period, but I think there should be a little bit more attention highlighted to pregnancy because um, most women who experience postpartum depression experience depression while they were pregnant. Um, and, I, and I really want to highlight more attention to, no, it's not just postpartum, and I'm glad we have a lot of attention on that, and I'm, I'm always going to keep attention on that, but there are also women out here struggling through their pregnancy and the changes that happen with that. Absolutely. The niche of just serving women through these special periods of time in their lives anyway, it's just, it's something different that you don't get if you go to a regular therapist because 
they're going to, I mean, you're going to unpack some things no matter what, but it's very specific to like these moments, like Laura and I talk about all the time is like, even just from finding, you know, the positive pregnancy test, your whole mind starts going. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like for women, it is, it's a pause. It can be a pause. It can be Mm -hmm. a speeding up of things. There's so many different things that happen in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and the women who experience, um, you know, feeling um, needing to have an abortion, having stillbirths, um, women who have infant loss, um, surrogacy, there's all kinds of um, different challenges that come along with pregnancy um, um, where, the, where there's special attention needed to them and special training um, needed for them as well. And I, I definitely made sure that I, I had have that training, have gotten that training, I, I continue that training um, to specifically be able to support these moms. Yes. And so I'm glad you already put out all the ways that people can connect with you. And we are definitely going to make sure that is in the show notes. Um, but is there anything else that you want to leave listeners mm-hmm. with, whether that be from your birth, your work? Um, yes, yeah. yes, definitely. So I wanted to just highlight um, just some things that I had talked about, like ways that helped me to cope through it. Um, allowing yourself to feel your feelings, you know, not letting people kind of rush you along of like, it's going to be okay. Just try to think positive. Like, no, allow yourself to feel the, the grief, right, that goes along with this pregnancy is not what I wanted it to be, um, or whatever negative emotions that you're feeling. Because if it is depression, allowing yourself to acknowledge that is how you get help, right? But if you just skip over it and ignore it, you're not gonna get the support that you need. Forgiving yourself and forgiving your body. You know, the the chances are, um, statistically I found that you, there wasn't anything that you did or anything that you didn't do that caused the high-risk pregnancy. The chances of that are, are, it's just so, so super, super slim. Um, and so I really want moms to remember that um, and just really acknowledging that um, it's not your fault. Um, focusing on the here and now, focusing on what you are able to do, what you can do, you know, um, the blessings that come around in, in this time, even though it's hard to see it. And then the other one is just getting some online support, you know, especially now with COVID, like we can't, you know, or we are limiting our connections with people right now, our physical connections, but doesn't mean that you um, can't connect with people. So online support groups are really amazing. Facebook has some amazing support groups, but also postpartum.net um, is an amazing resource. So they have online support groups for pregnant moms, postpartum moms, black mothers. Um, it's really, really great resource to connect so that you're not feeling so alone. The last resource I wanted to tell you about is I am offering a free video series of any mom that's experienced any stress, um, frustration, sadness, any kind of negative emotions. I have a three-day video series just for you. to. It's really the most powerful tool that I use within my counseling sessions that are packed, packaged up. You just go to my website as pregnancytherapist.com, put in your email address and you will get it right away. So that doesn't matter what state you live in, you can have access to that. And of course, I'm available um, if you live in Georgia, Florida, or Pennsylvania, I'm available to care for you um, and your counseling needs. Thank you. You're very welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome resources. Thank you. Um, Sharing your story, sharing your journey, your work, 
resources to tap into. Um, I think sometimes even though they're all out there, um, finding the ones that are um, valued and used by the people who we're getting support mm -hmm. from can be the best ones. Cause you're like, there's, there's so much to pull and dive through. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're like, oh no, <laughs> no. Shanae said to do this, but Google said yeah. <laughs> 101 <laughs> things, right? right. Okay. So it's much easier because Shanae's mm -hmm. list is, you know, right. a couple yeah. of things I can really work yeah, on. Yeah, and then mom, we don't have time like that. Just tell me where to go. Just tell okay. me the one website to go to. <laughs> exactly. Just the one. I you know, my scrolling time is about, you know, a nursing session, a quick bathroom break, or a snack. It's not very long. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, mini sessions. <laughs> right. That's exactly my video series. I've intentionally made it. It's only five minutes per video. Real short to the Perfect. point. <laughs> That's all we got. <laughs> oh, thank you again. You're so welcome. Thank you. You're so welcome. I'm uh, super honored. I really, really appreciate your time. And again, just allowing me the space and the platform to be able to share my story and my work. I, I for listening so to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.